Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to be sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are, who in every place called upon his name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both our Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we begin. God, at this time, we want to thank you for giving us your grace, for extending to us your peace. And we pray that we would now be able to turn and listen to your word. I pray, God, that your spirit would give us understanding so that we may not only hear, we may also have it received and transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have the privilege of speaking to you and beginning uh, this morning, our next sermon series, which is on 1 Corinthians. And I've dubbed the series, The Church That Hums. And so if you have been with us the last three plus years, then you know what I mean by hum. But if not, then we'll go over that uh, this morning. As we start 1 Corinthians, it's important to know that this is a letter, Right? This is a letter that was written, and in any letter, it's important to know who is writing the letter and to whom. And understanding will help us understand, understanding this will help us to understand why certain things were written, and it can put a lot of things into the proper context. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the author here, and he had already visited the city of Corinth after his visit to Athens and we see this in Acts chapter 18. He had experienced the foolishness of worldly wisdom because he was just at the center of it all. And if this starts to relate to us today, then it's not by coincidence. And so he was in Athens. This is where all, if you wanted to know wisdom and if you wanted knowledge, all the greatest thinkers would be in Athens. And he was just there in Athens. All of the world's ideologies, philosophies, and even other religiosities, he was faced with that, and they all fell short with the simple message of the cross. And I want you to hear that. Even in the center of the world's greatest minds that come together, all their ideologies, philosophies, they all fell short when faced with the simple message of the cross. That is the gospel. We're talking about the gospel here. And then after Athens, he went to Corinth. And when he went to Corinth, the church flourished. Both Jews and Gentiles. These were people that were not compatible with each other. But both Jews and Gentiles composed the church. And Paul was able to spend about 18 months in Corinth teaching them the gospel truth so that they could grow and mature. 
However, however, instead of maturing during the period where between Paul's departure and the writing of this letter, the church in Corinth had developed a remarkable number of serious problems. There were divisions, there were abuse, there was abuse of the sacraments, there was disorder during worship service, there was doctrinal error and confusion. There was incredible moral failings as well as extreme asceticism. And to understand all this, we must understand Corinth. Corinth was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. It was the center of trade. It was the center of commerce. There was an incredibly booming economy. But not only that, it was one of the most corrupt cities in the Roman Empire. It was known to be a city of immorality and debauchery. Sexual escapades and drunkenness were just rampant. And so there was actually a saying back in the day. To be Corinthianized was to be associated with these exact characteristics. So if you were Corinthianized, that means you were also into the immorality and the debauchery that Corinth was known for. And that influenced the church in a variety of ways. Not just with moral failures, but to the other extreme of asceticism, but also something else happened in the Corinthian church. This is something that theologians call an overrealized eschatology. This is a spiritual overconfidence that would lead a person and it would have them fail in their acknowledgement of the indwelling sin that was in their own lives. A spiritual overconfidence, meaning that because they thought they were saved, anything is possible now. Who cares if I sin? God's going to forgive me anyway. Does any of this stuff sound familiar to us in our day and age? This was 2,000 years ago. And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And so in this first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul goes over a variety of topics. But I kind of see common themes throughout the entire letter. And yes, this is why the series is titled, The Church That Hums. It's titled this way because if you continue to read 1 Corinthians, you'll see that there is a theme of holiness, of unity, and maturing in salvation. So holiness, unity, and maturity is why we have the acronym HUM. And so we see that there is a constant theme going through this letter about the holiness and the unity and maturing in our salvation. That is why we also want to be a church that understands what it means to be holy, a church that is unified, and a church that matures in Christ. This is a theme that we have been praying for for the last three plus years every Saturday morning. And it is with great excitement that we finally can come to this book in the Bible. I don't know how you all are doing right now, but for me, uh, when I started to go out as the lockdown was kind of being lifted, 
I got tired really quick. My stamina and endurance dropped incredibly. So I always wondered, if we start the service and we do full, will people pass out by the time we get into members meeting? So this is an experiment. We'll see how much we last. And by the members meeting, we're all zombies. But, you know, I, I, I really think that this lockdown has done us so much harm that we need to be alert. We need to be awake. Like, this is actually what happened. I go shopping now, and it takes two hours because, you know, you have to stand in line. And after you come back, you're like drained. And you just bought like some groceries and you're drained from shopping. And I know what Pastor Paul would say to that, right? If I told him, he would say it's because I'm old. And this is also true. So I'm aging, but this lockdown has made my aging exponentially increase. But all these things are, I think, for us to be aware of and to recognize um, I also want to introduce to you a term that you probably have heard of before. It's called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is when you act contrary to what you say you believe. For instance, psychologists would say that an example of cognitive dissonance is when you know that smoking is bad for you, you know that it causes cancer, but you smoke anyway. The Bible, however, does not make this kind of distinction. The reason why you smoke even though you know it is bad for you is because this habit or addiction has rule over you. It has power over you. When Cain was about to kill Abel, God visits Cain and warns him in Genesis 4. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It wants to have you. It wants to rule over you, but you must rule over it. There is something that we need to be aware of, not just our stamina and our endurance. There is a way that we should live, and we do not live that way. It's not cognitive dissonance. It's a ruling over the spirit. And Jesus put it more succinctly and aptly for his disciples to understand when he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And this is why we must be alert. This is why we must be aware of what is going on in the world today and know that it is trying to still rule over us. But we must rule over it, meaning we must conquer it. But Cain doesn't rule over sin. Cain kills his brother Abel. And in doing that, he continues to perpetuate the rule of sin over all mankind that started with his father, Adam. And so some of us may start to wonder if we are a Christian, if we truly are Christian, truly born again of the Holy Spirit, baptized into Christ, a new life. Why you have these instances of sin ruling over you? You may wonder that. And so now is the time to test yourself as you measure yourself up against the canon of Scripture. 
And where you fail is where you fall before the Lord in prayer and repentance to change your heart as David did when he sinned against God and ask him to uphold you and give you a willing spirit. And it is when we enter into this time with a contrite heart, God declares that he will not despise it. This is why sobriety is imperative to the worshiper. Your attitude, your demeanor, the candor that you bring, all that you bring right now is before Jehovah. Jehovah is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who he is. And whether you're sitting here in these seats today or you're at home, ask yourself this. Where is your intentness right now? Intentness. Where is it? Where is your full attention? You know, another word for intentness and attention is service. You could look it up. It's in the thesaurus. Intentness and attention, another word for it is service. That's why we are to give God worship service. And this is what we are doing now as we are centered around the Word of God. What an incredible privilege we have. What an incredible honor we have. But we come before the Word of God with sobriety and we ask God to give us this understanding. And so we go to verse 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. There are four instances in these three verses where the word call is used. And we'll go through these four instances today. And you're reading it right now. You're like, four? <laughs> if you haven't been paying attention. Otherwise, let me go back. You need attentness. <laughs> no, okay. But the first instance is Paul is called by the will of God. If I had another title for today's sermon, it would be the call. We need to understand what the call is. So the first instance is Paul called by the will of God. You know, letters in those days started out with the addresser and the addressee. Both the writer and recipient would be noted in any opening of any letter. In these days, we see that we could start off with the address to the recipient and close and sign with the sender, but that's not entirely true either. If you think about it, the sender and recipient are in the, you know, in the subject line of every email and in the front of your envelopes. But this is especially true for Paul's day. And so he opens up by introducing himself, and he is called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. To be called is from the root word kaleo, which is which, with the actual word that's used is kayetas, but it's from that root word kaleo. But kayetas is literally to be summoned into service, and in this case, summoned into apostleship. That is a pretty heavyweight title. 
Paul is telling the church in Corinth that the person sending you this letter is the official delegate of the Messiah Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the official delegate of Jesus Christ is sending you this letter. And how does he hold this spectacular office? By the will of God. So the reader of this letter, past and present, ought to listen carefully. And I say listen because letters when received back in the day would be read out loud for all the recipients to hear. And so they would listen carefully and intently. And with Paul is their brother, their brother. So it's someone they know, Sosthenes. And Sosthenes was most likely the synagogue ruler in Corinth, and he is mentioned in Acts chapter 18, verse 17. He was beaten. He was beaten. He was a synagogue ruler that was beaten, and he went through this affliction because of his affiliation with Paul. And it seems that he had become a companion to Paul. And now they both are addressing the church in Corinth. That's verse 1. That's the first call. Verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. The letter is addressed to the church of God in Corinth. This to many would have been heard as a paradox. In one of the most corrupt and immoral cities of the world, in one of the most immoral city of the, cities of the world, the church of God. And this is where we see the second instance of the word call. The church in Greek is ekklesia. Ek means out, and klesia is from the word kaleo, which means called. The church literally refers to a body that has been called out. Called out of what? What has the church been called out of? We have been called out of the world. And this is where scholars would see that this line here is a great and joyful paradox. The church of God in the city of Corinth. Ecclesia is used to mean an assembling, assembly or a gathering, but not just any gathering. It says the church of God. It is a gathering of God. And how is this done? By the sanctification of Christ. Meaning what? And here we see the third instance of the word call. Called to be saints. And when you hear the word saint, you may think of the Roman Catholic Church and think that it is for extra holy people. This is clearly not the case here if you read it in context. The church of God that has been called out to gather is to be saints. And saints is literally holy ones. Holy ones, the church, the collective body, which Paul will get into later in the later chapters, and the individuals in this collective body are to be holy. 
We are called to be holy. God calls his church out of the world to be holy. And this is the entire letter in a nutshell. That God, through his apostle, is calling us to a life of holiness. That is the message of the Corinthians to the Corinthians to us as well. And you might go, why us, right? Where does it say us? And the verse goes on, and it says, Together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And the church in Corinth got this because they copied this letter. We know they copied this letter and distributed it. And this is to the church in Corinth, and it will deal with the local issues there, but it's rooted and these local issues are rooted in larger systemic sins that all the churches should know and be aware of. Because the answers, as we will see, will all be derived from the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his holy word. And that leads us to the fourth instance of call. The church in everyone, in every place, are those that call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church is a group of worshipers. We don't gather because this is a social club that we need friends. That's, why we, that's not why we gather. And if you think that this is the reason why you gather, that's not what is written in the Bible. We don't gather because this is simply a tradition. Our parents did it, so we do it. And if there's any part of you that thinks that this is why we gather, then when it gets tough, and I, I'm telling you, it will get tough, you will fall away because that is not the reason why we gather. The main reason why we gather is stipulated in the first words penned by the apostle, to call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We gather so that we could worship God. This is the Christian's heart. It's the heart of worship. This is our spiritual oxygen, calling upon the name of the Lord. Christ gave us life. Christ sustains us. And Christ will lead us. We call upon the name of the Lord. We gather to worship God. And if you know the gospel, you know this to be true. Because... God is holy, and we are not. God is holy, and we are not. That's the problem right there. That's the problem. And the solution is simple. God could have just simply given sinners the justice, the justice that everyone is crying out for in the world today, apparently. God could have simply given sinners the justice that we deserve. That would have ended it all. And God will still be holy. God will still be just. But because of his great love for us, he called us out to him. Because of God's great love for us, he sent his son and he put our sins. This is what we call imputing. He imputed our sins upon his son. And Jesus Christ took the infinite punishment that we deserve. 
that sinners deserve. He got the justice that we deserved. So now there are two options. You can either have your sins infinitely judged by a perfectly just God, or you could receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior who took on that infinite judgment upon himself for you. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Once enemies of God, through Jesus Christ and Christ alone, Christ alone, we have been given the right to be children of God. Children are heirs to the inheritance. Children are heirs. They are the ones that receive favor from their parents. I see that when young parents look at their kids, but even old parents look at their older kids. I didn't tell I was going to talk about them today, but I spent some time with you preparing you, brother. Peter, whenever I go over his house, his, his parents deal with him so affectionately. They, they call him... Our Peter in Korean, our Peter, our Peter, yeah. And then they, they would affectionately deal with him. And this is like almost a 30-year-old man, right? But that's the favor that we received. We were once enemies, and now we are children of God through Christ. Do you see how insane that is? Do you see how amazing that is? That is the inheritance that we have been given. Do you realize, if you understand the Bible, if you understand this text, that it's us, we are the most privileged people in the world today? This very moment, who are the most privileged people in the world? It's the children of God. Who's receiving favor from the Most High God? It's His children. The church is the most privileged group of people in the world today. And it's to this church that this greeting falls on. In verse 3, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is from the word charis, which means kindness or gift. But in this case, it means goodwill and favor. It's the people of God who have the favor of God. Do you realize the gravity of this statement? This is what is extended to you in Christ Jesus. Not only that, not only grace, but also peace, tranquility, freedom from worry. Peace is also extended to you. And who is this grace and peace extended to you from? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the church should exude grace. This is why the church should exude peace. You know what another word for exude is? Radiate. This is why Jesus calls the church to be a light. We are to radiate and exude this grace and peace. 
How do we do that? By being who we were called to be. We were called to be worshipers. We are called to be holy worshipers. And this should all tie in with everything that we talked about in Matthew. These are the disciples of Christ that have been called out to him. And if you know the pairing in Matthew chapter 5, because we read it, if you know the pairing, we're also called to be salt. Salt. Light to radiate the goodness of God has shown us, but also we're called to be salt. Salt adds flavor. Salt adds flavor to the world. That's who we were called to be, to add this flavor. Just by worshiping God, we add flavor to the world. But in the ancient world, Saul had two primary qualities that people would have immediately got. One was taste, but the other was to preserve. They didn't have refrigerators back in the day. And so salt was used to preserve. And Jesus called his disciples the salt of the earth. The worship that we give to God as a gathered church adds flavor, but it also preserves the world. You know, there's some interesting tidbits about salt. And if you come to me after, I, I could recommend a, a book about the history of salt. It's fascinating. But salt is the only rock we eat. And it was actually used as payment for Roman soldiers. They used to pay Roman soldiers in salt. That's how much of a precious commodity salt was. This is where we get the word salary. Salary is from the word salt. And it was the basis of civilization, commerce, and even war. And if you look at the history of salt, you'll see that salt is interwoven in our economics, our biology, and yes, even war. You didn't, salt, you didn't have salt simply for cooking only, or not even just simply for food preservation, but you used salt for de-icing roads and even gunpowder. You needed salt. This is why also when you have a worthless worker or employee, we have this idiom. You may, not, you may not know where it came from, but it came from this. If you have someone that you work with that isn't pulling his own weight, you have the expression, he's not worth his salt. That's where it comes from. We are called to be light and salt. And if you turn on the news today, there's always tragedy. A lot of us were like, what do we do with all this tragedy? And two weeks ago, the short answer may have been to turn off to reset. But you don't turn off to reset so you bury your head in the sand. That's not what we do. We're not ignoring the things of the world. It's so that we can be reminded of not how, not how, but why we can take on the troubles of the world. It's so that we can be reminded why we can take on the troubles of the world. Because of what Christ has done for us. That's the reason. Because of what Christ has done for us, we can take on the troubles of the world. This is why, while the world can seemingly spin out of control, one can still confidently sing and worship God and continue to invite others to worship God with us. That's why the one in Christ can confidently sing 
It is well with my soul. No matter how turbulent the waves get, we know who holds us. We know whose favor we have. We know what we've been called to do. And that call is very explicit, but it's simple and it's incredible. When we worship God, we do what we were meant to do and our spirit soars. And we understand that this is why we were created, and this is why we can confidently sing, no matter what is going on, it is well with my soul. My friends, understand this. When you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you believe him with all your heart and you confess with your lips that he is, Jesus Christ is your Lord, then you are called out of the world and in to his grace and that's why we can worship him with all our hearts let's pray and remember who god has identified you as and in that identification reflect worship and glory to god in your prayers let's pray